So you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32, where we will be picking up the story. We've been talking about this guy named Jacob, and how Jacob um, was really just kind of a cheater all of his life. He, he cheated uh, everyone. He was, uh, he was a guy who was really reliant on his own skills and abilities. I told you last week that uh, I didn't finish my sermon last week, so this is really part two, but really where we started off there was I was telling you a story about how in my life I have relied on me uh, for everything that I needed. At an early age, when I was, uh, I think I was 14, when I got my first pickup because I worked hard for it, and I, I really became this guy who was, who was very prideful in how I was a self-made man and how that went on into uh, ultimately uh, how I went about um, meeting up with my wife and, and moving to California for a while because I, I, I didn't want to be, uh, I didn't want to become something because I was married to somebody. I wanted to become something on my own strength. And so I'd put off our, our, uh, our, our dating experience uh, for a while by moving to California. And so I, here I am, the self-reliant guy. And many of us in this room today are people who are self-reliant. Jacob was also a very self-reliant person. He's a person who really relied on his own wits, his own strengths, his own ability to cheat other people in order to get where he wanted to be. Now, you might say, I've never cheated anybody. I'm kind of a nice person. But here's the thing. What you have done, because you are a part of this human uh, existence along with me, all of us uh, grow up and are a part of this world, especially in America, where we are self-reliant. We are people who are focused on self and what we can do and so the, the idea of having a relationship with God and relying on Him is so foreign to us, it's absolutely foreign to who we are, that we just, uh, that the concept of having a relationship with Him and really relying on Him in the way that He wants us to is completely foreign. We, 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 we can't really get it. And so what we end up having is we have churches full of people who are self-reliant, not God-reliant. We have people who are inside of the context of the local church who know the drill. They know how to serve and sign up for teams. They know how to be a, a part of community groups and, and stuff like that. But really, reliance on God isn't really there. It really is just a part of the vernacular, the vocabulary that we use uh, to say that we're reliant on God, to sing worship songs that say that we rely on God. But in reality, it's just not there. That, that what we're saying, our life is not meeting up with our lips. And so what, is it, what does it look like to finally get into this position where we rely on God? And what we saw through this is that God kind of gave him a dose of his own medicine. God gave uh, Jacob, a dose of his own medicine through his father-in-law Laban, who really began to cheat him and, and cheated him from the moment that he had really even met his father-in-law, his future father-in-law, I should say. He cheated him over and over again. And so, uh, but God still had his hand on Jacob. What we saw through the story last week is that in spite of the fact that Jacob is kind of a screwed up guy, in spite of the fact that he wasn't really a churchgoer, in spite of the fact that uh, that his life was kind of messed up, God was still working in his life. And I got to tell you that when I was reading this and I was studying this, um, for, especially for last week, one of the things that really stuck out to me is that in spite of the fact that I'm not reliant on God, God is still in the midst of my life. God is still blessing me in ways that I might not even know about. And so you may be somebody who's, who's come uh, to church here this morning thinking that somehow, like, I need to get right with God so that he can bless me, but that's not the way that it works. God has already blessed you in so many different ways, 
And the truth is, is that we need to come to a place where we acknowledge this. And this is what Jacob really began to do. He began to acknowledge that God is the one, God is the blesser, if you will. God is the one who's provided for him his wealth. God is the one who's given him everything that he has. And that's hard for us who are Americans. It's hard for us to acknowledge God is the one who gave me these gifts. The, the, the richest country in the world, uh, or in, in the history of the world. Uh, I, I get to live there. I get to be a part of this society. And God has, has blessed you. The gifts that you have to do the things that you do, to, to make the money that you have, did not come from you, did not come from uh, how amazing you are, but how amazing this God is who created you. And so Jacob is beginning to learn and to understand these things. And as a result, what he, uh, what he ends up doing is he hears from God. God says, I want you to leave Laban and I want you to go back to Bethel. I want you to go back where you came from. And so he's, he's left. And on his way there, uh, what he begins to realize is that he's got to confront real difficulty in his life. And that real difficulty has to do with his broken relationship with his brother. His brother whom he cheated out of his birthright and his blessing in a really horrific way. He really splintered the family. And as a result, he moved away for 20 years. And so here he is. He's on his way back. He's, he's heard from God. He's on his way back. And he's about to see Esau. And so what he does is he finally comes to the point where he drops to his knees. And it's almost like the text is trying to say to us that here's Jacob and he's finally at the end of himself. He's no longer relying on his own wits, his abilities to get out of things. But he's finally praying to God and he's finally saying to God, like, God, would you please help me? Please help me in this circumstance. In fact, I just want to read you a small piece of it as he says... As, as he says this, O oh, oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O oh Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this river, the Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother and here he is, he's pouring out his heart. He's recognizing God's providence in his life. And I don't know if you've had a prayer like that. I don't know if you've had a circumstance when you're, when you're finally at the end of what you can do. And everything that you've tried has screwed things up. And everything that you've worked for is, has finally uh, just fallen flat. And you're finally at this place where you say, all right, if all else fails, I guess I'll pray. I guess I'll finally pray to God. How many of us have been in this situation? I feel like this happens to me every week, right? I mean, like, finally, I'm like, all right, Lord, I can't do this sermon in my own power. I guess I should have prayed about it a while ago, but God, here I am. I have to have your blessing. You got to speak into my life. That's me. I don't know about you, but maybe you're somebody who's been self-willed, thinking that you can get through life, and you just need a little bit of God, a little bit of Jesus. Or maybe you're somebody that doesn't even want God or Jesus in your life. God and Jesus, same thing. But that maybe you're somebody that does not even want that. And yet you're finally coming to the end of your rope where you're saying, I'm not sure I can manage this and I'm almost willing to recognize that there really is a God. Because I feel so out of control. And if there isn't a God, then I don't know what I'm going to do. And so this may be the last stop for you. But I think that's what's going on 
in Jacob's life is that he's finally at this place where he says, okay, God, all right, what do you got for me? What do you got for me? And so that's kind of where we left off, where we finally, uh, we finally stopped. And we pick up this story in verse 22, where it says this, that same night, he, Jacob, he arose and he took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok, another river. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had, and Jacob was left alone. I love, I love this story. I love, uh, I love how it kind of sets this up a little bit. He's very aware that Esau is coming. He has sent droves of animals as gifts to, to Esau. Esau is, is coming the other direction at him, and Esau has 400 men with him. He has 400 men with him, and that is a key uh, sign that Esau's not coming to make nice. Esau is coming to settle the score. 400 biblical scholars say is about the, the number of like a regimen. It's, it's, this is a, a fighting force. And so he's coming to make all of these wrongs right. And so he's coming down the road. Esau's coming at him. And so Jacob prays, and then he sends his whole family across this river, and all of a sudden he's left alone, which I think in Jacob's life is probably one of, it's, it, I don't know that I would say it's one of the first times, but it's like the scripture wants to uh, denote to us this idea that this guy's finally by himself. He's finally alone. He's finally in a place where he finally has to be reconciled with some things here. He's prayed to God. He's asked for God's help. And here he is. He's finally alone. He has to think about the ways that he has injured his brother. He has to reconcile himself with his past. And I don't know if you've been in that place, and I don't know if you've, if you've kind of come to this conclusion where you're like, man, when I consider the stuff that I've been involved with, when I've considered the sin that I've been a part of, like I, and, I, and I just sit, it's too painful, and I just want to go do something else. I just, I got to keep myself busy. I got to keep doing. I got to get into another relationship, even though I completely bombed out the last one. I got to get into another job. I got to have another idea. I got to have another group of friends. I got to have, I got to gotta have, got to have, I got to keep myself busy with work, whatever it is. But here's Jacob, who's been a self-willed person, who's finally alone. Are you ever alone? Do you ever finally come to this point where you say, okay. It's, just, it's like this come to Jesus moment where you're, where you're like, man, I, I finally have to deal with my past. Have you dealt with it that way? See, self-willed pe people have a serious problem with ever being alone, ever truly being alone. How many diff different distractions could we list right now? Between social media and music and Netflix, between lots of friends, between lots of business opportunities, between new projects, between all kinds of things. How often are we alone? But he's alone and he's in a great place because something really weird happens next. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. What? 
excuse me, come again? <laughs> so Jacob's on a camping trip. He's sitting there by the camping fire, uh, by the campfire, and he's just kind of sitting there, and then all of a sudden this guy comes out of the woods, and he's like, you know, like, it's just like, this is such a strange story. Some guy starts wrestling with Jacob. Now, if I'm Jacob, I'm like, grab a rock, smack this guy in the head, pull my hunting knife out or my piece, and just you know, take him out, you know, something like that. But that's not what happens. They have a wrestling match that happens like all night long. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a fight before. Um, I've been in a couple. I'm not going to tell you about them. That was, this was last week, but it, it, it was, uh, it was, you know, it was, it was longer than that. But um, I, I, you know, I've been in a couple before, but I remember being in a, in, in a fight one time when I was a kid. In this fight, uh, you think that it's going on for hours but it is not hours. It's like minutes, and I'm exhausted. That might tell you something about my physical fitness, but that's, that's okay. I'm, I'm fine with that, but I would get exhausted in the, middle of this, uh, in the middle of this fight. I probably would have tapped out, but this guy, Jacob, he's bad to the bone. I mean, he's been out there rustling the sheep or whatever he's been doing to them, but he's, he's been doing this, and so he's in great physical shape, and so he has this all-night-long uh, wrestling match with someone. Weird story, I know. Uh, Verse 25 says this, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched, the man he's wrestling, touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. So Jacob is wrestling somebody who just jumped out of the bushes, right? And the man whom he's wrestling is not winning. Jacob is actually winning. He's prevailing, the text says. But the guy that he's wrestling, all he has to do is touch his hip socket, which is a really weird place to hurt somebody, but it, nevertheless, it was the place where this person decided to be like, ha, you know, and, and put his hips on some some type of submission hold that I've never heard of, but bam, he touches him. It's, it's, uh, I did not think this was going to be this funny, but uh, so, so he touches his hip socket, and all of a sudden, he's in a lot of pain. But in addition to that, Jacob begins to realize something. This person is accommodating their power to me. They're really actually more powerful than I am. It's like me when I wrestle my kids. It's like I have to accommodate my, my power to my children, otherwise I would devastate them. Uh, like it, would be, it, it would be amazing. And sometimes I feel like devastating them. I mean, I get into these wrestling matches with my kids, and they're like, they think that like, I can just kick dad anywhere, and it's fine. Like, it's like, that's not okay, child. Like, I mean, how many times do I have to tell you, like, you cannot do that? Or like two knees. My, my son, uh, who's 12, my oldest son, you know, like uh, both feet in the air, bam, two knees in my, in my stomach, my back, whatever. Like, dude, I have kidneys. Like, give me, like, child, like, what do you think is going to happen when you do that to dad? I realize it's a wrestling match, but I accommodate my power to them, and I don't smash him like I want to. And so here we have this, uh, this being who can immediately wound or injure with just the touch of his hand. So that's weird. And Jacob begins to clue into who he's actually wrestling with. 
And so it says this in verse 26. Then he said, the man whom he's wrestling, the man says, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, what is that all about? Like, you just came out of the bushes. You just hurt my hip. We've been wrestling for a while. Jacob is beginning to realize something. This is supernatural. This is some type of encounter with deity. And that is why he would ask for a blessing. He realizes he's kind of losing this battle against this deity Maybe he realizes at this point that he is wrestling God, but he's realizing this, and he finally comes to this point where he's worn out, and he's desperate, and he's, he's just been struggling and struggling and struggling with, with this thing that is God, and he's been fighting against him and fighting him and fighting him, and he's trying to get his way, and he's trying to overcome God's will in his life, but he's not overcoming it. And so he finally comes to this place of sheer exhaustion, even though he's prevailing in some way. He finally comes to this place where he finally says, okay, would you, but would you just bless me? Or, All right, God, would you just bless me? And so he asks for this blessing. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so this figure who is God, in verse 27, says to him, What is your name? What is your name? Now, in biblical times, someone's name matched their character. I don't know exactly how that worked, but somehow their name matched their character. So their name said something that was true about them. So in Jacob's life, I don't know if you remember the story between Jacob and Esau, but Esau said, you know, he's rightly named because he's cheated me these two times, I think it says. So somehow Jacob's name in that time means that he was cheating and so for God to say, what is your name? God is asking a question that goes beyond just like, this is what my parents named me in the hospital. It goes beyond that and it, and it says, tell me your character. Tell me what you've done. Tell me what you've been a part of. Tell me what your life has been like. Tell me, where, tell me about your past. The stuff that you don't want to tell anybody about when you first come to church and when you go to a community group. Or when you run into somebody, the stuff that you don't want to deal with, tell me about that. God comes to him and says, what is your name? I want to know what it is about you that is having all these problems. And God's not asking because he doesn't know. God's not asking because he's not aware of what's happening. But he said, Jacob... And so he's revealed this about himself. He's revealed this, this idea that this is who I am. So what is God doing here? What is God doing in this moment? He's coming to Jacob and he's inviting confession. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden? 
If you were here for the first part of the sermon series, in chapter 3, God knows what has happened in Adam and Eve's life. How they've set aside God and they listened to the serpent instead of God. How they decided that they wanted to be like God, knowing good and evil. They, they essentially wanted to ascend and become on the throne of their life. But God comes to them and he's walking in the cool of the day in the garden. And he comes and he, comes and he says, Adam, where are you? God knows where he is. God knows what he's done. God knows what he's been a part of. But what is God doing? God is inviting confession. I'm inviting you to be open with me, God says to Adam and Eve. And God is saying the same thing to Jacob. I'm inviting you to be open with me and to reveal your life, to, to, to reveal your secrets, to be open with who you are. Jesus does something similar in John 4, verse 16. There's this the story that's commonly called the woman at the well. It's called the woman of Samaria in my uh, passage here. But it, it's, it says this in verse 16, uh, chapter 4, verse 16 of John. It says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Now, why does Jesus say that? Because it says in, in just the next verse, he knows where this woman has been. He knows what her life has been like. And so he invites confession from her. He invites her to reveal to herself, even though he knows this, he's inviting her to reveal who she is. And Jesus is doing the same thing with you this morning. You've been struggling. You've been fighting. All of us do this in some respect and to some degree. There's not a couple of us in here that are really jacking things up, and the rest of us are like, got it handled. No, I struggled with self-reliance this week. I struggled to turn to God in prayer. I guarantee you that you did. God is inviting confession. Jesus is inviting confession from you and from me. And he's saying, what is your name? What is your character? What is your life like? What, is, what are you into? What are you a part of? He's inviting you into a grace-filled relationship. He's inviting you into this relationship with him that is filled with grace and mercy. He says, Jacob, you prayed a prayer and you said you, you acknowledge my mercy and my grace in your life. You acknowledge the fact that I'm the only one that can help you. Now, let's just see how that plays out. Can you reveal yourself to me? Can you show yourself to me? And what happens? Then he said in verse 28, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. It's cryptic, I know. It's hard to understand. God says, reveal your character to me through your name. Your name equals your character. And Jacob may feel like somebody, and I think he does, like I'm a screw-up. I always mess it up. I can't be anything else other than Jacob. I can't change the way that I am. It's the way that I've always been. Have you ever said that? I'm just going to continue to do the same thing that I've always done. 
I'm just going to continue to be just regular old Matt Porter. That's who I am. I'm, I'm, nothing's going to change about me. Jacob could have said that. But God came to him in a moment. And as Jacob reveals who he is, as God invites confession, God says, I got something special for you. And that is, I'm changing your name. I'm changing your name. See, Jacob is the guy who's always struggling and striving against God. But Israel is the guy that God is always struggling for. And that Jacob will begin to struggle with and a part of. See, this name Israel means this. It means it's that you're not alone anymore. Israel means that you're no longer just reliant on self. You are reliant on God. You're looking to God. In fact, in the Old Testament scriptures, when you look at this, see, out of Jacob comes the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel is referred to by God as Jacob when they're acting like Jacob. When they're disobeying God, it refers to the nation of Israel, and he calls them Jacob, but when they're doing what's right, they're often called Israel. It's because of this, because God is saying, I have changed your nature. I have changed the direction of your fight. You know, you're no longer fighting against me, but I am fighting for you. I'm striving for Israel. I'm here as your protector. I'm the one who's going to provide for you. I'm going to be the one who gives you what you need. You see over and over and over again in the Old Testament, as Israel decides that they're going to take matters into their own hands, that they're going to go fight this battle, and they lose horribly. Why? Because they did it in their own power. You see this over and over and over again. See, the name of Israel is an act of blessing that God has on Jacob's life. And God has a blessing for you in and through Israel as well. It's Jesus. Jesus comes from Israel. And what do we get from, from Israel? What do we get from this relationship with Jesus? We get a new nature. We get a, a new calling on our life. We get a new direction. I love what Kent Hughes says about this commentator. Listen to this really carefully. He says, how blessed we are when we yield to God at the beginning of God's call, the way Abraham and Joseph did. See, some people, they hear God's call, life changes, they're reliant on God. And in some respect, I mean, I don't think they're perfect, but in some respect, they've just directed their life towards God. They hear from God. They follow Him. And somehow they're compliant. But he goes on to say this. We struggle independently of the God whom we believe and love. We want to be a part of His plan. But alas, we make our own plans. And we never truly succeed. Then a crisis comes through which He lays His hand upon us. Life becomes dislocated or out of joint. And we have an appalling sense of our own incompetence and weakness. That is the great hour, the hour of grace. He may be saying to you, clever, astute, capable as you are, you have believed in me, 
but you have always manipulated your own life and made your own arrangements. My child, what is your name? I can stick in love that I've read it a thousand times this week. My child, what is your name? You've always relied on yourself. You've always looked to you to work out your problems. You've always thought, okay, I feel like I don't have love, so I'm going to go enter into a relationship that I believe has love for me, even though that's against what God would have for me. It's through premarital sex. It's it's through uh, shacking up before you get married. It, It happens in that way all the time. It comes in the ways that sometimes single people go and have a relationship with someone who does not have a relationship with God. It's saying, I'm reliant on self. And then you get into that marriage and you find that you are lonely like you've never experienced before. And it's because of this, you've been striving against God. You've been working against him. And God is coming to you today and he's saying, my child, what is your name? You've been struggling long enough. Won't you finally ask for my blessing, won't you finally ask? And the grace that comes from this, look, look, look at what he says here. That is the hour of grace. Men and women, this is the hour of grace. And what is that hour? What is the hour of grace? Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, what is it that you, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So Jacob, uh, Jacob uh, finally realizes fully that this is God. And what he's realizing is what Exodus 33:20 says, "You cannot see my face, for man shall not see my face and live." And Jacob realizes, "I've had a face-to-face encounter with God, and God has changed me. And He's changed Jacob in two significant ways. What are those ways? The sun rose, verse 31, upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Jacob walks away from an encounter with God with a limp. But he also walks away with a new name. Why is that significant? You guys... I don't think that we really are following God until we start walking with a limp. I don't think that we ever really pay attention until we get a limp that only God can provide. This is what C.S. Lewis says about this. He says, the human spirit will not even begin to try to surrender self-will as long as all seems to be well with it. The human spirit is not not even going to come even close to getting rid of their self-will until until something else happens. As long as all seems to be well with it, they're fine. 
He goes on to say this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Men and women, you could be in your life in the midst of circumstances, and you may misinterpret the pain that God brings into your life because maybe you had that moment that Jacob did where he finally prays and he says, okay, God, I need you. I realize I do not deserve your steadfast love, your mercy, your grace, everything that you've given me. I don't deserve it. God, would you please help me with Esau? And God says, I'll help you with Esau, but there's going to have to be a change. First of all, you got to have a new name, but that can't happen until you have a new limp. Until you have a new limp. See, Jacob can't be confronted with his past until he has had an experience with God that is life-changing. And those experiences do not happen simply because he just asked for it. See, you can misinterpret the events of your life, and you could say, hey, God, I prayed and I asked you to do something amazing in my life, and what is this crap? What is this stuff that you gave me? Somebody dies, the diagnosis comes, the job is lost, the house is lost, the, the life is lost, the marriage is lost. Something happens. You prayed to God, and you asked him to change you, and God is faithful in that prayer, and the way that he answers is often through giving us a limp. God gives us a limp because we can't live without it. And if you misinterpret that event in your life, if you misinterpret that tragedy, you could completely miss the answer to your prayers. And that is that God says, you are too self-willed to have relationship with me. And so in my grace, in my mercy, and believe me, I know the tragic stories in this room. I know what you've been up against. I know how you've suffered. I, so many stories just went through my head right now. It, I'm grieved for you. But if you do not see it as God's incredible hand of grace and mercy on your life, that he is stopping you in your tracks, and he's saying, won't you turn to me? Won't you be a vessel of my mercy and my grace to other people? You cannot get right with your past until you realize that I'm all that you have. Until you realize that, that the only way forward is in complete dependence upon me. You may be angry that I can't believe that I have to deal with this for the rest of my life. God is saying yes and it means that you get to be dependent upon me. Don't you see? I can look back over my life and I can tell you story after story of how I was so upset with God, how I was so wounded, how I was so ticked. And yet God has brought triumph through tragedy the same way that he did on the cross and he does every day through his death burial and resurrection on the cross the son of God being crucified see we forget that God uses tragedy for his glory 
He used the most tragic thing that ever happened in history for his glory. And he can do that in your life. I want to remind you of 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Guess what? Jacob got turned into a new creation. He still acted like Jacob, but God said, this is your new nature. Now live according to that new name that I gave you. You're no longer Jacob. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is us in Christ. Jesus went to the cross, and it's proof that God uses tragedy for his glory. He uses tragedy for great gain. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Don't you see this? Don't you see? This is from God because God reconciles us to him through Jesus. Now we've become instruments of reconciliation. And we don't even have time to get into the next passage. But what happens is this. God changes the heart of Esau. And Jacob and Esau meet together and they cry on one another's shoulders. That could not have happened without God first meeting with Jacob and changing his nature and bringing about this. Jacob was able to be reconciled to his brother because he was reconciled with God. When you reconcile with God, you get to reconcile with other people. You have broken relationships. I can't promise you that everything will be healed and right and good, but I can tell you that the probability is there. As your nature has changed and you're reconciled to God, you become an instrument of reconciliation. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Are you sitting here this morning and you're saying, I don't have righteousness. Jesus has righteousness for you. He proves it on the cross. He went to the cross for that sin. What is your name? This is the hour of grace. This is the moment. This is the time. Jesus went to the cross, not for some future date, but for right now. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the moment that you should turn to Jesus. Now is the moment that you should say yes to God and answer him back. This is who I am. This is where I've been. This is what I've done. This is how long it's been going on. And God says, you're in luck. Because I've got a blessing that's going to bless you forever. And that is Jesus. He's going to make you into a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That is Jesus' promise through the cross. Once you receive it today, Won't you take that in? Let's pray.